Well, good morning, church family that I love. It's great to see you on this Lord's Day. I'm really glad you're here. Thank you for worshiping through song, and now let's worship through the Word, shall we? If you haven't done so already, I want to invite you to take your listening outline from your worship guide, get a pen in hand, and be ready to follow along in your copy of God's Word. You may want to turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's where we're going to land in just a moment. And as we're preparing to hear Hear the word here in the worship center. Let me offer a warm, warm welcome to everyone in our contemporary service. I'm really glad you're here today, as well as everybody on TV, online. I'm glad you're a part of this service today as well. Now, this is a great Sunday at Ingleside for a variety of ways, but you may also know that it's Super Bowl Sunday. Isn't that right? And so there's a big game tonight. I think the Eagles are playing the Chiefs, the Philadelphia Eagles against the Kansas City Chiefs. And on Super Bowl Sunday, we just have a tradition to let you weigh in and say who you're going to be pulling for, who you think's going to win. So, how many of you are Eagles fans? Can I see Philadelphia Eagles fans? Okay, I see a few of you around the room. How many of you are Kansas City Chiefs fans? Can I see the Chiefs fans? Wow, more around the room. And how many of you don't give a rip? Can I see your hand? Great. The don't give a rippers win again this year. And so, I I hope that your Super Bowl Sunday is a great one, and I'm glad you're in worship as a part of it uh, this morning. Now, uh, before we uh, dive into the message today, let me just say that if you're not part of the chapter a day journey, uh, we just finished reading 1 Timothy this past week, and we'll be talking about some of that this morning. And today we're beginning a great 28-day read through the book of Acts in the New Testament. You'll be greatly encouraged if you'll be a part of that. So pull out your phone, text the word chapter to 22828. You'll be able to sign up with your email address and then join with hundreds and hundreds of us as we're reading God's word together every day. Now you can see from the title of today's message, it's called, What's a Deacon to Do Serving in the Body of Christ? Today's message really has two parts. The first part, I think, just applies personally to every person in the room as we talk about Bible basics about serving in the body of Christ. And then at the end of the message, I want to show you from Scripture what the Bible says explicitly about who deacons are and how they should serve. So, do you have your pen in hand? I want to give you five Bible basics about serving uh, at Ingleside. And so, here they are. Write it in. Number one on your outline is we learn from Scripture right up front that Jesus, Jesus, our Lord, was a servant. And if I follow him, if you follow him, we should be servants too. That's just the foundational truth that we need to underscore for us all today. In fact, I would love for you to read out loud with me Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. They're, they're on your outline, and it begins, but Jesus called them. And so here in the worship center, there in the contemporary service, let's read the scripture aloud together. Ready? Here we go. But Jesus called to them and said, 
you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so what does the Bible teach us? It teaches us that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was a servant, and his greatest act of service was when he died on the cross for our sins so that we might have forgiveness and eternal life. So, if we follow Jesus then, number two, write it in on your outline, the truth is that every follower of Jesus, no exceptions, every follower of Jesus should serve in the body of Christ so that the church will be built up. Now, the Bible teaches this in a number of places, but let me just give you one quickly. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, or pastors and teachers, for what purpose? Here it is. Look at verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. In other words, to equip all the believers, those are the saints, every person who's a Christ follower, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, of service. And what is that service intended to do? It's intended to build up the body of Christ. So, across the years, guess what we've learned? Ministry equals service, and every member should be a minister. It means on this gospel ship called Ingleside, there are no passengers. We are all crew. So now, follow the logic of Scripture, if you would. Jesus laid down his life for us. He was a servant, and he said if we follow him, we should serve. So it means everyone in the body should have a role serving. Here's number three then. Write it in on your outline. I should serve, the Bible says, where I am gifted, where I am gifted, and where I am needed. I should serve where I am gifted and where I am needed. Let me, um, let me highlight one more passage that speaks to us all. It's 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Look at it. Here's what the Bible says. It says, as each, meaning each person in the body, each follower of Christ, has received a gift. So it means every one of us have been gifted to serve in some way. As each has received a gift, here it is, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So those gifts are expressions of his grace. We're to be stewards or managers of the gifts he has given us. We'll be accountable to him for how we use our gifts, and we're to use our gifts to serve one another in the body of Christ. Then he gives a couple of examples. Look, verse 11. It says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. 
And whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, what's the goal of our service? That God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Jesus was a servant. If I follow him, I should be one. Every one of us should serve in some way. We should serve where we're gifted and where we're needed. Number four, this passage teaches us, we should serve with the strength God provides. With the strength God provides. That's number four on your outline. We don't serve him in our own strength, but through the strength of the Holy Spirit within us. And then number five, the Bible teaches us that we should serve for the good of others, for the good of others, and for the glory of God. So whenever we serve, we're following the example of Jesus. We serve others according to our gifts and where we're needed. We serve in God's strength. And whenever we serve, we serve for the good of others. It's not all about us. It's not all about our gifts or our service. It's for the good of others and for the glory of God. Now, church family, let me just say, one of the things I love about our church is the culture of serving that has been developed here across the years. You know what? It just permeates our body. In fact, whenever we take a snapshot of those who serve a couple of times a year, we find that more than 1,000 people, usually between 1,200 and 1,400 of us can say, yes, I have a place to serve. I have a place where I invest, where I use my gifts, where I serve others in Jesus' name through the body of Christ at Ingleside. Let me just see your hand if you've got a place of service today at Ingleside. Can I see your hand? Wow, all around the room. I mean, vast majority of us. And that would be true that has been true for a number of years. And if our church is healthy and Christ-like, it ought to be true in the years to come. You know what that means? It means both men and women. It means young and old. It means those with all different kinds of gifts ought to find their place of service. You know, we had a funeral in our chapel yesterday afternoon that um, Pastor Mark and Pastor uh, Jonathan and our worship arts assistant, Sandy Smith, and I had the privilege of leading. It was for Mr. Byron Clements. And uh, Byron had been a member of our church for about 20 years and passed away last week. Some of you may have been served by him and you really didn't even know it. I'll tell you why. Uh, as I thought about Byron's life, the verse that came to mind was Psalm 100, verse 2. It says, serve the Lord with gladness. Do you remember that? And Byron's life was characterized through his investment at our church of serving the Lord with gladness. A few years ago, when we needed to start parking far away and we began to run shuttle buses, guess who one of the first ones to step up to drive the shuttle bus was? It was Mr. Byron Clements. And I bet you've ridden on his shuttle bus. And I bet you've been greeted by his warm and happy spirit. One of the other behind the things he, things he served in was at our fall family festival as one of the volunteers. And he was a specialist at making cotton candy. <laughs> 
And I love that he served boys and girls and moms and dads and families. And I could just go on and on and on. And he served the Lord with a glad spirit. And as I was preparing today's message, Byron kept coming to mind again and again. And I said, I'm so grateful for a whole room full of servants like that. You know, just think of the way people serve. Some serve visibly by singing in the choir, playing an instrument. Some serve behind the scenes. Someone served by putting together the worship folder with the outline you received today. Someone served by putting all the pins in the seats and the welcome cards there. Someone served you this morning by making sure the lights are on, the temperature is right, and the room is clean, and the coffee is made, and the donuts are in the um, coffee shop out there. And people are serving all over this campus today with preschoolers and children and middle schoolers and high schoolers. Listen, God is honored when a serving culture exists, and I want to say he's honored by your service, and I am really, really grateful for it. Now, if you didn't raise your hand a few minutes ago, I want to offer a challenge from Scripture. I want to encourage you to get out of the stands and onto the field and find your place of service and begin to serve. Can I be even more specific about that? Do you know what is happening uh, right now? Um, and by the way, I'm going to try to be careful not to make any really strong points on Super Bowl Sunday. One of our members sent me something that said, you should be as excited about church as about the Super Bowl. So when your pastor makes a great point this Sunday, pour Gatorade on his head. And I thought, no, <laughs> I, I don't want that to occur. So I'm going to go easy this morning, but let me, um, let me just say, this week, uh, I, I asked Pastor Justin, our next-gen pastor, and I'm really thankful for the way he finished up our Proverbs series last week. I said, tell me, do we have any uh, needs in our next-gen area? And you know what the truth is? Uh, Post-pandemic, more and more and more and more, uh, younger families are making their way back to church and they're bringing their preschoolers and children with them. And I know what your heart is. Aren't you glad that your kids and grandkids and their contemporaries are coming to church and hearing the word? I, man, I'm grateful for that. But guess what that means? It means that one of our greatest areas behind the scenes where we need leaders right now is in our preschool and in our children's ministry area. For instance, because we need new classes started, we need a fourth grade girls class teacher at this hour at 940. Could you teach a class of fourth grade girls? Or at 11 o'clock, we need a first grade teacher. Could you teach a first grade class of boys and girls? We need some preschool leaders at both hours. I hope you would hear the Lord's call today and say, you know, I'd be willing to change my Sunday schedule to do that. You know, I, I, I know that some of you come to this service and then you go to your Bible study class and you leave it because it gets out a little earlier than the 11 o'clock service and you can beat everybody else to the restaurant. I know how that works. 
But if you're already in Christ, if you're going to heaven when you die, you're already saved, you're secure in Christ, wouldn't you serve with preschoolers or children so that some young families might be reached with the gospel? I want to ask you to be a part of the serving team. You'll be like Jesus when you do that, and I hope you'll respond today. Well, do you see what the Bible says? Most of what it says about serving has to do with all of us. And you've already seen the appearance of some of the servant or deacon word group in the Bible. It's a couple of nouns in the Greek New Testament. The word diakonos, servant, 29 times in 27 verses. The word diakonia, service, 34 times in 32 verses. Diakoneo uh, means to serve. It's the verb 37 times in 32 verses. And almost all of those, it refers to different kinds of service that all of us might do. But there are a couple of passages, two or three, that tell us about the specific service of deacons. Let me highlight them for you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints, in other words, to all the believers in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers, it's the same office as that of elder or pastor or shepherd, along with the overseers, and deacons, the word there is diakonos. So Paul has already created and helped the church organize by having all the saints serving and overseers or pastors and deacons that have a specific service. When you get to 1 Timothy 3 that we read in a chapter a day this last week, beginning in verse 1, you see that he describes those two sets of leaders. He says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, it's the word episcope in Greek, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer, episcopos, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. And look at verse 8. And then... Parallel what we read in Philippians 1.1 where there were overseers and deacons, Paul then gives the qualifications for deacons. The, the word literally means servants. He says deacons, diakonos, servants likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children, their households well. 
For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that's in Christ Jesus. So what do we learn there? Write it in. Five things as Timothy is helping the church at Ephesus put in place the leadership God intends. Paul's giving him these guidelines for overseers and deacons. So write it in. Number one, we see that deacons must have self-control. That's in verse 8. In verse 8, overall, deacons must be dignified, not double-tongued. They must control their tongue, not addicted to much wine. They must control their appetites, not greedy for dishonest gain. They have to control their desire for money and the things money can buy. So, deacons are full of the Spirit and have self-control. Number two, write it in, deacons must believe must believe God's truth with strong and sincere conviction. That's in verse 9. They must hold the mystery of a faith with a clear conscience, the Bible says. Number three, deacons must be tested, the Bible says, and demonstrate a proven pattern of godly living before serving. And that's in verse 10. Do you see it? And let them also be tested first. And then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Number four, write it in. Deacons must have exemplary, exemplary wives, marriages, and families. That's in verses 11 and 12. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and households well. And then number five, deacons who serve well will be rewarded with respect from others and stronger faith. That's in verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You know, I'm so thankful that across the years, from its founding all the way to now, our church has been served by deacons with this kind of godly character. But did you notice something? In this passage, which is the longest that deals with deacons, it doesn't explicitly, not even implicitly, tell us what deacons do. We know they serve, but everybody in the body serves in some way. So, so, what does the Bible say the specific deacon service role is? Well, there's one other passage in the Bible that gives us an indication. It's in Acts 6, and we'll read it as a part of chapter day this week. Look at it, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that is Greek-speaking Jews, arose against the Hebrews, that is the Hebrew or Aramaic-speaking Jews, because their widows, their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, that word distribution could be the daily service. It is one of the deacon words, diakonia. It means that in the daily provision of food and financial resources to the widows in Jerusalem who had no families, uh, well, uh, some were being overlooked. So, look at verse 2. 
And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That tells you again something of what the deacons are doing. They are actually serving food to win widows in need. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we'll devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. And as a result of this new group of servants who were serving the widows in need, the Bible says, verse 7, the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So what do we learn from this passage? Two more things. We learn, number six, that deacons should be men with a good reputation, a good reputation, uh, that's in uh, verse 3 when it says seven men of good repute and who are full of faith, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. Full of faith, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. Why? Because they're going to be ministering to the widows in need in Jerusalem. And that leads us to the last insight. When Scripture points us toward what deacons should do, what is their specific role of service? Acts 6 teaches us that deacons should serve widows. Deacons should serve widows. So, as our overseers have studied afresh and anew over the last couple of years, what the Bible says about deacons, we are proposing, and you see a handout that's in your worship guide that has some frequently asked questions. Our overseers are proposing that we revise our church bylaws so that the primary responsibility of the deacon ministry team shall be care for and service to widows at Ingleside. How many widows currently at Ingleside? More than 100. Some have families and support networks that are strong, but others have greater needs. Why is this change being considered? To bring greater biblical clarity and fidelity to the role of deacons at Ingleside and to make sure every widow at Ingleside is loved and cared for and served in the way God intends. So who will be on the deacon ministry team? The deacon ministry team will be composed of deacons and their wives who meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Now, as always, church family, when we consider a, a change like this, there have been several steps. Do you see them on your outline, bottom of the last page? Our overseers approved this proposal back in December. It was presented to our current deacons and former overseer chairman in January. We had a town meeting for questions and comments on January 29th. And the only thing that remains would be a vote by our church 
at the semiannual church conference on February 22nd. I hope you hear and sense what the heart of this is. The heart is to be as closely aligned with Scripture as we can be, as we encourage the whole body to be full of servants and for deacons to serve widows just like they did in Acts chapter 6. I'm convinced that if we pursue this path, it'll make our church stronger, better, more filled with God's blessing in the days ahead. Well, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and then after that, we'll sing our concluding songs. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much that your word tells us not only how to go to heaven by faith in Christ, and not only how to live with wisdom day by day, but your word also tells us how we ought to conduct ourselves in the household of God, the church. And so, Lord, I want to pray that our church family would continue to have a heart to walk with you, to embrace all you show us and teach us so that our church might flourish for your glory and for our good. And, Lord, I want to pray that the serving culture at Ingleside will just be multiplied over and over again in the days ahead. I thank you, O oh Lord, for all who have served and all who will. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.